anyone seen the post about the um, slab of meat up now in Victoria um, on the rock? I got quite a few likes on my comment, 65. Um, they said, where's this? Does anyone not know about the slab of meat? Uh, oh, okay. So there's this like slab of meat that's just like on this big rock at the top of the Mount Vic lookout. And some like girl were taking a photo of it at 5 a.m. and being like, why is there this big slab of meat there? And it had like blood running down the rock. And she's like, what's going on? And she puts it on Vic Deals, you know, and like, <laughs> of course, you know, it gets like a thousand comments. Um, and my one was something like, it's a, um, the secret Wellington on a plate burger entry, um, only found by the brave um, hunters and gatherers who venture out before sunrise. It's called the Deconstructed Paleo Burger. It was just literally a slab of meat, so, and on a rod. <laughs> well, obviously, Vic Deals appreciates me more than you, so. It's, it's been 10 weeks since I've been at Blueprint, it might be another 10. <laughs> just kidding, I've, um, I, I have not, at least. My wife has had a baby, um, and we were supposed to pray for us, but she is taking care of Romilly out in the side room, so we'll let her do that. Um, yeah, it's been a while. I feel a little weird, to be honest, um, just kind of coming in after 10 weeks and talking to you um, when I haven't really talked to a lot of you. So um, bear with me because I'm feeling a little tired and a little out of sorts. But anyway, um, so yeah, I've been asked to speak about the free store and I kind of might go on a tangent um, and it might involve some things that definitely are not related to the free store at all. So I was thinking, well actually I was doing some research. There's a strange phenomenon in Antarctica known as the mummified seals of the dry valleys. Curious, huh? The mummified seals of the dry valleys. Let me explain. On the shores of the Ross Sea, nestled away in McMurdo Sound, is an expanse of ice stretching as far as the eye can see for hundreds of kilometres, left literally high and dry by receding glaciers. And it's said that these valleys are mesmerising fascinating and vastly beautiful, or starkly beautiful, rather. Beautiful, yet deadly. From the first years of Antarctic exploration, observers were puzzled to find the contorted and mummified carcasses of seals many kilometres up the valleys, often at considerable heights above the sea level. Crab-eater seals were found as much as 56 kilometres away from the shoreline, and above one kilometre high. Waddell seals were found 32 kilometres inland, with one seal dying 1.5 kilometres above sea level, and that's as tall as Mitre Peak, the iconic conical mountain towering over Milford Sound. And some of these seals have been sitting there for thousands of years, like they're mummified. These didn't die last week, and they're not rotting, they're just there. Pretty weird, eh? And whatever drove the seals to trek doggily away from their colonies their water and their food sources, until they apparently starved to death, remains a mystery. These seals expend a lot of energy actively and purposefully walking away from their very source of life and into areas that we could literally call the dry valley of bones, or the valley of dry bones. And it's certainly an extraordinary distance for a very clumsy animal on land. Like, have you seen seals try to like clamber over rocks? It's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> but this isn't a random occurrence. It's a really well-documented phenomenon. Scientists have documented that many of these seals demonstrate a puzzling determination to march to their deaths. One live seal that researchers found heading inland towards, oh, across the McMurdo Ice Shelf resisted all attempts to point it back in the right direction, towards the sea. And a Waddell seal moving 
south through the hills at Cape Evans, which is just north of, north of McMurdo Station, which is, I think, the New Zealand station there, was captured and released facing east, but it immediately turned around and went south. So strange. And, like, what the heck has this got to do with the priest or, or Jesus or anything? <laughs> but bear with me. South, bad. East, good. South, death. East, life. Tangent. Back in 2013, on Friday the 15th of November, precisely, Elise and I, plus a few others from Blueprint, uh, I think Abby might have been there, um, but there was also Jeremy and Buzz, um, who are no longer with us um, in this congregation. Not you. That would have been fun, though. Um, we, we headed up the Kapiti Coast to spend some time with Mark and Kirsty, our friends who are living at Pika Pika at the, um, the beach there for a while. They used to run this little get-together called Soup and Luke. Did anyone ever go to Soup and Luke? No. Okay, so I can see some nods. Yep, cool. So we would eat together and we studied the Gospel of Luke. I only went once, by the way. I'm not going to claim that I was like part of this like, for the long haul because I, I just got invited up for the night. Uh, we, we had a small reflection with a time for prayer. And it was pretty relaxed and we had a lot of time for ministering to one another. Now at this point, so November 2013, I really wasn't in the best place with my mental health. The original free store that had started in 2010 had been closed for two years at that point, and I was overwhelmed with internalised pressure, nearly all of it coming from myself, not from anyone else, to get it back open and running. The free store was, at that point, a thing of the past. It uh, it had faded from people's minds, from public consciousness. It was a failed pilot project. And it was mine to carry because the original team at that point had disbanded. And if I didn't carry it well, it was definitely dead. And so I received a lot of prayer that night. Kirsty felt that God wanted to use the free store still to reveal his extravagance. Abby, this is in my notes, in my journal, so it must be you, and you must have said this, spoke that God would reveal his majesty. Unless it was a different Abby. (laughs) Mark reassured me that there was nothing to prove in this endeavour and that God was well pleased from the outset. Whatever happened. Steph saw a picture of someone walking into a clearing with a big ravine and then there was this like these two bridges and the one on the left was shabby and it had frayed rope and the, 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 the planks of wood were all broken. But then there was another bridge on the, on the right that was strong and sturdy. And she, she shared that we may think that It's going to be treacherous, but God actually has marked out a safe path for us, and we'll walk over it in strength. Extravagance, majesty, grace, safety. And then I received a word from Greg, who's Steph's husband, and he said, and all he said was, I see a seal sitting in the sunlight facing east. And he didn't elaborate on it at all at the time, and I was just like... (laughs) Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I guess I'm going to focus on what you want, Alice, because you're talking nonsense. I guess it was all that red wine. But I wrote all these things down, these prayers and these words, because I needed them. And I've looked at them over the years many times, and I still look at them to this day, including, say, preparing for this, so it counts. And I treasure them, because in my darkest hour of isolation and hopelessness, I was held by these promises and by the children of God that delivered them to me. And it's taken me a long time to attribute significance to Greg's picture, (laughs) and I don't know how it really came to this, but I feel like every sermon 
you need to have some like illustrations, you know, some metaphor, you know, or else it's not a real sermon, and you sort of tenuously link it to something about God. Um, I think this does have some some connections because it's where Antarctica comes in, the seal and the sunlight facing east, those mummified seals of the dry valley, wandering away from their food, safety, and ultimately their life in the east, and they expend a lot of energy heading south only to burn out and die. I feel like that night in 2013, I was given great promises, but I was also given clear warning. Do not be the seal that wanders off on the great journey, only to exert itself, burn out and die. You must resolutely face east. Face east For what? For that is where your life comes from. Bask in the sun. And you're asking, well, what is east? What's significant about east? And again, I can, I can link that to something. There's this um, old Hebrew word called Mizrah. Has anyone heard that word? Probably not pronounced like that because that was probably horrible. Um, Mizrah. It's a lot of... It means place of sunrise or east. And in the Jewish holy text, the Talmud and the Mishnah, it's the word used to denote the direction that the Jews and the diaspora who had been scattered amongst the nations would face to pray. East, towards Jerusalem, towards the temple, towards the Holy of Holies, to Yahweh himself. Now, obviously, we don't believe that we have to religiously turn to face the east to actually pray to God. In our tradition, but the symbolism's rife. The diaspora Jews would face east, praying their prayers. Oh, whoops. I was supposed to change it to that, and I totally forgot. A slide just so you don't have to keep looking at the mummified seal. I forgot. So sorry if you were looking at that. Um, yikes. <laughs> That's a way better picture. Sorry, where was I? Um, the diaspora Jews. Praying their prayers, and they would recount the stories of their ancestors. You know, they'd been, like, abolished from their land, sent off to faraway places, but they would still tell these stories. This is our people, this is our story. Stories of deliverance, stories of the power of God at work. Stories of God's faithfulness and stories of God's goodness. Even when they felt abandoned and isolated, and even when they felt far from home. Even when they could no longer see the hand of God at work. And they could still pray prayers like, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and I will exult in you. And I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So today, I stand before you, facing east towards the source of all life, to bask in the sunlight of his goodness as we recount his marvellous works. Because I am overcome by his goodness. Sorry. The free store closed down in November 2011 and reopened in October 2014. It's three years. It's not 40 years in the desert, but it's three years, which seems a long time to a millennial. That wasn't a joke. Um, Three years, it really is a long time to wait for something, like anything, especially when... It closed down there, was it? Yeah, it was closed down. (laughs) It's a long time to commit to anything... No less commit to something when you don't see the fruits of it. 
for the length of time that it took me to complete my university degree. To put that into context for those that have been a part of this community for a while, the free store, or the new free store on Willow Street, has been open for less time than it was closed for the time that I was waiting for it. And so much has happened in this last three years while it's been open. Many years in the depths of my isolation, sorry, many years ago in the depths of my isolation, carrying the vision and pioneering a way forward, I was given another promise. What seems like an eternity now will be but the blink of an eye when the free store has been open a few years and is flourishing beyond what you could ever imagine. And I held on to that. We've been open for three years now and it couldn't be more true. God's provision has been abundant. God's faithfulness has been unwavering. God's goodness has been made manifest time and time and time again. So for those of you who haven't been on the free store or the blueprint journey for a long time, I'll go back to the start and just do a brief overview. So it opened in 2010 after a group of blueprinters like people like you sitting here. I think I'm the only one left from that group. There was Marsha and Elise Irvin, Cherise and Peterson, oh, apart from my wife, Elise. Um, there was this art project that was run by a woman called Kim Payton. It was called, the, it was called Free Store. Go figure. And she came, to, came from Auckland to run this installation. She acquired a retail surplus space, popped some shelves up and installed a counter, and then she chucked a bunch of food in there. And anyone could come and just take the food. She was challenging people's relationships to traditional consumer spaces when money was taken out of the equation. And admittedly, it was really weird. It was pretty groundbreaking at the time. Elise and I had visited the store that, uh, one of those days in the two weeks that it was open. And we took some pasta and some chocolate off the shelf. And we sheepishly asked if we could take it, even though that was the whole point. And obviously Kim insisted. And then a few weeks later, after the installation had closed down, I was having coffee with Brock Turner, the leader of Blueprint and the CEO of Zeal at the time. And as he does, um, if anyone knows Brooke, um, he convinced me to do a 180 with my life, pretty much, um, in one conversation. He was very persuasive. Does he have Will in his top five? <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> he's, uh, he's got away with words. Um, and he was, he was t- telling me that the free store should be resurrected into this long-term project, not just this two-week art project that had kind of come and gone. And so that Sunday, we got up in front of church and asked if anyone else wanted to be a part of it, and that's when we got the team together. And so we met for potluck dinners weekly or fortnightly every Wednesday night to dream and scheme what this free store would be, values and vision, objectives, how we're going to achieve them. We came up with things like values centred around people where we provide the basics so that individuals can flourish and community where we help society to better itself through interdependence and mutual benefit and the ability to serve one another and potential, a commitment to reallocation so that the potential in anything can be fully maximised, whether that's food or people or time or resources. We crafted a business plan and we divvied up tasks. And then within three months, we'd opened the free store from a little kiosk on Left Bank Arcade. And we'd been given the space by a company who said, you can have it as long as I don't have a paying tenant for free. Uh, and so we had about 12 food suppliers from nearby. We opened five days a week. We fed about 30 people each night for that year. 
redistribu redistributing 25,000 items of food. And everything we needed in the air was given to us. During this time, I was, I'd just finished university, we just got married, um, and I was working part-time, so I took on the kind of store manager role in a voluntary kind of capacity and just put everything else around it. And I committed myself to, to the free store for that year. And then six months into the project, Brooke goes up to a church in Palmerston North and he does kind of what he did to me and, you know, it's like, this is what they're doing down in Wellington and you should do it too. And then a couple of people from Palmerston North came down and saw what we were doing, spent a day with us, um, Rebecca and James at the time. They took notes, asked questions and went back to Palmerston North to begin planning how they were going to adapt this thing to their community, to take our kaupapa and kind of share it with their community in a way that made sense. And so the first seed of the wider free store movement was born. Or planted, if I want a complete metaphor. And then after a year of operation, um, the company who gave us the shop said, uh, we've got someone who wants to pay the rent. Um, can you be gone by Monday? And it was Friday, so we had like three days to go. Um, and nowhere to go. And so I went on Radio New Zealand um, to broadcast our plight and had a few landlords who said, um, you know, I'd be willing to, to give you the place for free as long as we don't, you know, have a paying tenant. So it was a similar arrangement. Um, it was very generous and I had kind of two or th three people lined up and had some options. Actually, one of them was in the building you're in, I think maybe on the floor that you're on, um, which could have been interesting. Um, but anyway, I was like, well, we might end up in the same situation you know, who knows, in a year's time, but it might only be in a couple of weeks when they're like, please move on, and then we lose all the momentum and um, we just have to move time and time again. So it didn't seem very sustainable. We needed a place to go home. The free store had no money, it's the free store. So we had to get creative. And the team had kind of disbanded by this point. Um, people, Tim had become a um, really good doctor. Um, I think Shree had gone overseas and people got busy. Marsha started doing some awesome things that she got involved in. Um, and anyway, one day I was walking, uh, driving down the waterfront, passing the docks down kind of Thornton Ways, and saw all the shipping containers stacked up. Um, and I thought to myself, just, there must be one container that's lying around doing nothing. So when I got home, oh, that was like in 2011, one of our volunteers and Pete, who's still around, he's one of our most loyal customers, he's a good friend. Um, <laughs> I drew a doodle, and it, it, it was a shit doodle. Uh, and I, I just wanted to be vulnerable with you tonight <laughs> and actually show you the doodle I drew on Microsoft Paint. <laughs> All good ideas start with Microsoft Paint, not a napkin. Because then I could like save it and not lose it, you know, and then put it in my Evernote and like sync it. That's, that's just how I work. Um, anyway, clearly not a great doodle, but anyway, a friend made it a heck of a lot better. <laughs> Thanks, Vaughn. And so the dream was born. Convert an old, rusty shipping container, get it for free, and turn it into a beautiful work of art. Um, so that's the container literally coming off the lot on the left at Seaview, and then on the right going on to Jamie's property in Lower Hutt, and Jamie was the builder, along with Rowan and Mason, who's not here, um, who did a lot of work for free. <laughs> Amazing. These guys are legends. Um, so all the work was done on Jamie's property to do this, this project. Um, anyway, I was naive. I just thought you could, like, cut some holes in the side, man, like, hand the food out. 
I did not realize, you know, like building resource consents and, you know, you had to do things a specific way and all that. Um, but if I had have known how much work and energy and jumping through council hoops it would have taken, I probably wouldn't have done it in the first place. So ignorance is this, I guess. And I think I was guarded by that naivety. I spent the next 18 months um, overseeing that project, converting this container. Uh, in the end, we got $65,000 worth of materials and labour from 22 different companies for free to make this happen. It was a pretty awesome effort. Um, people did some things. Jesse doing some painting, Lauren doing some painting, painting, Will doing some painting, and others. Sharon in the background, I think. Mason grinding out the rust <laughs> like a man. Uh, installing doors and windows, cutting holes. Um, Dan did a whole bunch of welding. Um, I'm eternally grateful to him. Uh, you know, building like walls, jib, insulation, painting. Mason, oh, it's such a good look, Mason. <laughs> <laughs> if you could like see his face, like zoomed in, it's, it's gold. Um, timber on the outside for the cladding, cutting things, sawing things, nailing things, things I don't know much about, um, painting things, varnishing things, attaching things, and there we go. On site. <laughs> so that's a very quick overview of 18 months. Um, and so on October the 15th, 2014, we moved on to the current site at St. Peter's Church on Willow Street. And since then, we've redistributed 323,621,000 items of food, give or take. That's like, it's all counted by hand, so we do our best, but it's, yeah, 300,000 plus items of food that would have otherwise been wasted. And so that's $2.26 million worth of food, retail value. We've increased our food supply base from 12 to 70 different eateries, cafes, bakeries, restaurants, catering companies. Grown our volunteer base to over 1,000 people. Our volunteers have given a combined total of 16,982 hours over the last three years. So by the numbers, we've been growing from strength to strength, but ultimately, we know it's not really about the numbers. Um, we've seen God... I mean, the numbers are just mainly for like funding applications, which are always <laughs> welcomed. Um, we've seen God provide everything we need, like over and over and over again. No one's gone hungry. We used to pray for enough food to feed our customers, and now we pray for more friends to come and eat it. One day, we ran out of coffee cups... That same day, before prayer left my lips, I got an email from the manager of VicBook saying he had 40,000 cups to give me um, for free. So that will last a few years, which is great. And then last week, we ran out of tea. Uh, I brought over a small box of tea from my house just to kind of tide us over for that day until we could buy some from Trade Day the next week. But that afternoon, as our volunteers were going around the city, pushing the trolleys, collecting food, a random man stopped them on Anthony Key and gave them a big bag full of tea, like hundreds of tea bags out of nowhere. Like, I don't know why he would do that. Um, yeah, like God's provided time and time again food, people, finances, and pretty much everything we need. Because the free store isn't just measured in statistics and large numbers, but in the quality of community that has flourished over the last three years. We dreamed of a free store where 
it wouldn't feel like us and them. We didn't want our customers to feel like clients. To make, we wanted them to feel like friends. We wanted to break down the power imbalances that typically exist between the haves and the have-nots, the service provider and the client, lording it over them. But we wanted to welcome people without question. We wanted the dynamics between giving and receiving to be so fluid that anyone could give or receive and people can give and receive. And we simply wanted to gift something to our community that would nurture selflessness and a caring nature. Something that wasn't us in a kind of imperialistic mindset going out and like saving the world, but something we could say, here Wellington, it's yours. And it's like, it actually has become that. Like, it's incredible. I was standing at the, the store on Friday night, just, just standing, just like taking it in and watching everything happen. Just like everybody involved in so many ways and just everybody playing their part. And it's like a little ant colony. Everyone's just like, just doing their thing. And it all just runs seamlessly. And I take like 10 weeks off for like parental leave and it just happens because so many people give so much. Because so many of our customers who came in need are giving so much back. They pretty much run the show. It makes me think of this. If you've come to help me, you're wasting your time. If you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. I have received just as much as I've given at the free store, if not more. My whole world has been turned upside down by the people I've called, come to call friends there. I don't know if you can see that that well. It's kind of like a little model that I use. It's not scriptural. I'm definitely not talking from the Bible tonight. Um, Safe, the safest, the vulnerable path. So there's like the left column and the right column. So like on the left, it's the safe path where we can position ourselves in, on the right side of the conversation, whether that's sharing the right petition, signing the right petition, sharing the right article, being seen to be progressive and liberal and align with the right things. You know, we can do that stuff online and people see that we're a good person, we're visible as we stand kind of to the side but kind of align ourselves with all these good things and then we receive a little bit of social credit don't want to be a bigot and then it's neatly resolved because we've done our part but then there's this other path the path of vulnerability where we position ourselves in relationship where we become an invisible participant in the work of justice where the stuff that really counts isn't seen by all that many people, if anyone at all. Because when we put ourselves in, in relationship with those that are suffering, those that are different to us, that look, think and speak differently to us, we, it's really not about us. We enter into kind of this other way, this other place where um, Yeah, well, we're learning just as much as we're giving. And it comes at great personal cost because, you know, all relationships do. 
and it's unresolved. It's not something that's neatly tied up because, again, that's what relationships do. We continue to journey. Um, I thought I'd share a good, couple of good stories. Um, just I'll just run through them because there's a few. Um, but this guy in the middle, Vincent, um, is an incredible man. Uh, he came along to the free store many years ago as a customer. It was the middle of winter and he had a high power bill and um, needed to save some money to pay it off. So he came to the free store to get some food uh, and he paid off that bill and kind of kept coming to save money with the money he was then saving on food. Uh, and then one night he was like, oh, you know, why, we don't, why don't we have coffee on a wet Thursday night? Like, oh, we don't have enough volunteers. And he was like, oh, I'll do it. So he just starts volunteering. Then we have a Thursday night coffee team and he's overseeing it. And then within a couple of weeks, um, he is like completely running the whole thing there around the tea and coffee. And just like, you know, this is a guy from um, just up the road at the Central Park um, Flats at the bottom of the Brooklyn Hill. And he's training like people coming from like their full-time jobs after work and just like the best manager ever. Like he's so awesome to watch. He's just like efficient, but he's also like compassionate and like just like takes everyone under his wing. And it's my, fi- my friend, Vincent. Um, Trevor, some of you will know Trevor. Um, last year, he was one of our kind of core volunteers who was living on the streets when he started volunteering. Um, would push trolleys around, collecting food every day, tirelessly. It's like the most incredible work ethic. Um, he got into a, into a boarding house and then was, you know, looking for work. So not as, you know, we don't do this in a kind of a formalised sense, but, um, you know, we have connections to lots of cafes, obviously. Um, so all it really took was Lindley saying to me, oh, I saw a, um, a sign on Lee Street Bakery's window, which is one of our suppliers, that said they were looking for a part-time delivery driver. And so I just went and yarned with um, the manager there and just said, got this guy, Vincent. Um, yeah, he's, like, living on the streets. He's in his 50s, uh, but an incredible work ethic. The hardest working man I've ever seen. Give him a shot. Anyway, um, he, did, had an inter- he set him up with an interview a couple of days later. Uh, I came back and just sung his praises. was a bit of a reference. And then he was given the job and started the next morning. Um, and all that took was you know, a couple of us making a few connections. Um, but Trevor, one of the conditions was that he could only work at Lee Street if he got off before the free store volunteering time started, so then he could still come and do his real job. Um, he had his priorities in the, around the right way, that's for sure. Anyway, he's up in Auckland now. He's um, went to uh, care for his father before he passed away, and he's now working full-time um, in events, setting up like rigs at like high-end events at like the Victor Arena and stuff. Um, he's an incredible guy. He actually spent a little bit of time living with the Cuba Street crew. Um, my mate Willie... Um, he's an awesome guy he, um, he did a little bit of a stint um, in prison recently um, he was one of our volunteers um, and but he was up in Rimataka prison and I had the um, sort of reached out to him and just said hey I want to be able to come and visit you so we kind of signed, signed a whole bunch of paperwork and um, yeah, kind of got that set up so I could come and visit him every um, Tuesday, I think it was, um, while he was there. And I was the only person to visit him in prison. 
you know, we just yeah, we had an hour together. We'd yarn. Um, he had met a guy in his cell, a cellmate who had done some very bad things, um, but had come to to know the Lord. Um, and this guy, this big, um, gruff Maori guy, um, was telling him about the good news. Anyway, Willie ordered a bunch of books um, that got sent to him. The only thing he could really do in prison was read or work out. Anyway, he spent a lot of time reading um, books about the Bible while he was there, and um, I was able to send him letters, and we could yarn when I went and visited, visited him, and now he's out in Upper Hutt, and um, yeah, Lisa and I are going to go visit him with Romilly next week. He's really excited to meet Romilly. Um, on that note, like Willie, um, yeah, he he told me that when I sent him a letter um, before I ended, you know got all the paperwork sorted out to go and visit him in person, when he read it, um, it was the first time in a long, long time um, that he's ever broken down in tears. Um, that someone was just thinking of him. Not to blow my own trumpet, but just like the smallest of things are so significant to people. Let's get that one. Dixon Street Flats. Um, like I said, we have a little bit too much food that we know what to do with these days. So I was like, how can we get more food out to more people? Uh, and a lot of our customers come from the Dixon Street Flats. It's a housing New Zealand complex on Dixon Street. Um, and I'd met the um, housing manager there a couple of times, and she was real nice. And I said to her, I arranged a meeting and said, how can we get more f- food into your flats? Can we just like, have a box downstairs where we just like, chuck surplus food in there at the end of the night just so that um, anyone can come and take it? And she's like, oh, we could find a better way to do it. So anyway, we did this pilot project where we went and delivered food to every single house in the complex across the space of a month, and then gave people could give feedback. You know, was that useful to you? Like, would you want it again? Yes, no, da-da-da. Um, and we whittled it down to about 16 houses that were high need, in the sense that they physically couldn't come to the free store because they were either um, elderly or um, disabled, physically disabled. Um, and so our niche is like Russian immigrants um, up in the Dixon Street flats at the moment. But um, we deliver up there three nights a week. Is that right? We still do it three nights? Yeah. Um, and that's really cool. And... Um, I think we're having a little bit of a conversation about how we could get even further, maybe up to the Pukahina flats, and always looking for other ways to kind of create connections in our community, you know, and to see, like, the community that's now flourishing at Dixon Street, not because of us, but alongside us, is awesome. You know, we have Ivan, who's one of our volunteers, who um, has built a bit of a relationship with a couple of other volunteers at the free store who um, didn't have a place to live, um, and then he just, last week, or a couple of weeks before that, took them in into his flat at Dixon Street, um, and put them up for a couple of weeks, just out of you know, out of goodness of his heart, because that's kind of what's been cultivated is like you know these connections between so many different people, and it's not just about the food; it's about like people caring for one another beyond two one one Willis Street. Um, I've been lucky enough to be a part of a few conversations that have seen the free store like kind of become a movement. Um, Obviously, I mentioned Palmerston North earlier, but um, the, the team from Palmy and I um, supported a team in Hawke's Bay to get a free store set up there, so they're called Nourished Vanille, and they're doing pretty amazing things. Um, 
there's free store in Auckland, Gratis, which has just kicked off. It's been open for about a month now. Um, and they're kind of going from strength to strength, doing amazing things. They're having, um, yeah, like really good sort of success with um, the food side of things and also the building relationships. And I'm going back up in a couple of weeks to um, kind of see how they do things and get feedback and Q&A and all that. So it's really cool to be like, connected to them. That's in um, a vineyard church um, up there. And so it's been a real blessing. And then I'm also a part of conversations to open a free store in New Plymouth as of late. Um, so they're doing a field trip. They're coming down to Palmy and Wellington to spend a couple of days with us and get something going there. So it's kind of snowballing. Um, and it's really cool to see that, I guess, if you go back to the beginning, like our tiny little community at that point, it's only like 30 people, um, just giving it a crack. And then continuing, even when it gets hard, and persevering until the fruit comes, and then seeing, yeah, the kingdom spread in Wellington and beyond. Um, on that night in November 2013, the other word that I got, or scripture, was from my good friend Jeremy. Jimmy Bruce. That's the one. Yeah, no. Yesterday. Oh, good job. Um, he, he quoted John six twenty seven to 35, which was, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Seal? Seal? Oh. <laughs> oh, there we go. Meaning on meaning on meaning. <laughs> Spelt the same way, you could just read into that. Um, <laughs> then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. He's already done the works, He's already shown His goodness. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Um, it's the missing piece, really. Um, the, the, the free store was always meant to be a bridge to beautiful faith community. Um, like, we don't give our Bibles to the free store, we don't want to be those guys, but we always wanted for the way we do everything to point to the goodness of God and the family of God, how we care for one another. And we were sitting around the table this Monday at our chapter dinner, um, it's a free store chapter. We meet and we pray together and talk about how we can show hospitality to our friends from the free store. Um, we're talking about people, um, what, what it would look like to do worship in community with our friends from the free store. You know, there were ideas like, oh, maybe we do like a home group kind of thing. Maybe we accompany them to another church. We're like, what? Like, I was, like, I've been thinking about it all week and I'm like, wait, 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 like, what? Like, why are they not here? Like why, like, why is this not a place where they feel welcome? It's just kind of like stuck with me this whole week. I'm like, why are we talking about 
doing something else when it was like always meant to bridge to this community, a place where they would feel welcome and accepted and included. Because it hasn't been that way for some people along the track. And it's not like an indictment on this community per se, but it's, a, it's, it's just a reminder to ask ourselves what would it look like to, to really welcome the stranger. We're a pretty white congregation. And so that is not meant with condemnation, that is meant as a question, what would it look like if we were willing to create space for the stranger or the new friend? Um, and th- for this to be a community where the, the way that they feel at home at the free store would be amplified here. So I'll leave you with that question. Um, and I hadn't really thought about how to end this. Maybe I guess prayer is a really good, good idea. So I'm going to pray. God, I thank you that... <clears throat> that your spirit speaks to the heart. Uh, I offer my words to you in their fragility and incompleteness, and I ask that, um, yeah, you would do what I cannot. Would you encourage us? Remind us of your goodness. Would you challenge us? Call us into being your people more and more. We thank you so much for the incredible works you've done through this community of Blueprint, through the Freestore community, for your provision, your faithfulness, your extravagance, your majesty, your grace, time and time again. I have, <laughs> it's all because of you. I claim nothing. We can claim nothing. You are... You are our prize. Yeah, we recall all you've done. We celebrate for your great, your mighty, your good. Amen.